Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What's up, buds? And today, for the last time, and I believe it's her 14th or 15th appearance? I don't know. Someone can go back and count. But uh, for the final time, we are going to be, well, well, wow, it sounds like someone's dying, but they're not. But we are going to welcome Samantha Pell onto the podcast for the, la- for the last time for the foreseeable future. So, uh, Samantha, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How about yourself? <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm doing great. We were talking before, but... Uh, I think I myself have done this podcast with you from like three different, four different states and now three different countries. So it's definitely been kind of a wild ride that we've both had kind of doing this, but it's, uh, it's been, it's been really kind of a blast. So, uh, yeah, but we're going to kind of start with, uh, the, the way I'm going to do this podcast is just to kind of, you know, give people a heads up is. We're going to spend the first half kind of talking about the Caps, obviously, because this is a nominally Washington Capitals-related podcast for as long as I've been doing it. And then we're going to take a break, and then on the second half, we are going to talk, kind of reflect on Samantha's tenure as a beat writer for the Washington Post and the Washington Capitals. So uh, let's start with Cap stuff, though. Um, They, uh, really since January, and really kind of seemingly since Tom Wilson and Nicholas Backstrom came back, they haven't been playing super well. So uh, what do we kind of, let's like kind of start big. What do we think are some of kind of the root problems that they've been going, you know, going through during this last little stretch here? Yeah, I would say the biggest thing for them has been the offense. And you have a lot of players that have been going through stretches where they haven't scored. And luckily for them, Evgeny Kuznetsov finally scored the other night. Yes. <laughs> to kind of break that skid that he's been having. but. I would say his kind of offensive role was one of the most concerning things uh, for this group kind of moving forward. And then you look at a guy like Lars Eller, who also is going through a goal streak, Anthony Mantha. I think Connor Sherry only had a couple goals uh, in this last day to stretch as well. So a lot of guys that, you know, typically can get on the score sheet from time to time, just were doing absolutely nothing. And especially for a team that needs offense and cannot depend on just Alex Ovechkin every night with, you know, no. John Carlson out, Tom Wilson out, McDowd out now. Like, you need all these guys to step up. And it seemed like over these last couple of weeks, it was just going downhill fast. Yeah. Well, and I mean, obviously, I think one of the things that has been interesting to me is, I mean, the Caps, and I think really, frankly, since kind of you've been on the beat, have been a team that, yes, they've had star talent, but they've actually driven a lot of results from their bottom six. And so how lost like Nick Dowd actually is kind of more important than you might think, right? Because it, it, first you think, oh, a fourth line center, like they should be able to replace that. But it, like, I think losing him has been a bigger factor than I, than, you know, you might've thought at first glance. No, absolutely. I think Nick does a lot of things on the ice that people just don't notice, right? Like he's the glue that puts that fourth line together. And yes. now you're asking a Lars Eller to be on that line every night. And maybe that, you know, kind of adds to why he's not producing well, or, you know, there's a lot of other things that go into it. But when you have a guy like Dowd, who's so reliable, who can take faceoffs, who can go on the PK, who is just, you know, gritty, scrappy, a guy that's 
you know, willing to get in there when needed. I think it's super, super important for a team that is seemingly not really always on the same page. So you need your bottom. No, it doesn't seem to happen. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because I I mean, the other thing I was going to ask, and I was going to kind of posit my, my, my theory about things a little bit, which is obviously with Backstrom and Wilson back, you know, they've had, I think it's safe to say a really unstable lineup. And guys going in and out of the lineup, you know, for injury or other reasons, you know, or kind of just, you know, maybe it's performance-based, maybe it's just they have, like, 14 skaters or 12 spots or whatever. And so I was kind of wondering, like, it seems like there's been just a lot of instability lately. And, like, I'm kind of wondering, like, have you noticed that? And do you think that's also having an impact on things, too? Yeah, I think that's huge as well. I mean, when Baxter and Wilson came back, it was like... Oh, great. You know, two of your top guys are back, obviously, who would not want a Nicholas Backstrom and Tom Wilson exactly. uh, on your team. But it created this problem where the Capitals were so, so good in December going 11-2-2 two and two, that yeah. all of a sudden, like, as much as people hate to say it, yeah, it broke up the chemistry. It broke yeah. up the lines. It broke up kind of the will and the desire that they needed to win games. And all of a sudden, as much as Peter Laviolette and some of these other guys said it, themselves like when Tom and Nick came back they almost let their foot off the gas and thought oh these two guys are going to come and save us and it's kind of done the opposite and it's not saying that it's just to blame with those two guys it's just seemingly something went wrong and the Caps are kind of in this place where it seems like they're always up and down they haven't been able to put two together it just it's a rough stretch and now you're scratching a guy like Anthony Mantha and Lars Eller and Dylan Strom for a game so it felt yeah. like around that time it was a crazy up and down week and they were just trying to figure out what's gonna stick and yeah. I'm not even sure if they've figured that out <laughs> quite no it doesn't sound like they week. have and I mean one of the tricky things is I mean it, what's, what's funny is there's a certain kind of symmetry it seems like to <laughs> the Capitals in every season that you know you've been on the beat and really I think the last like 10 years or so which is it seems like they get off to like a somewhat uneven start to the regular season, catch fire in in December and maybe you'd say early Jan, and then kind of like go to sleep. And the difference this year is that, you know, in years past, they had pretty much locked up a playoff spot by this time, right? You know, yeah, I mean, I you think had time of, to calm down and chill exactly, a little. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. The veteran team, you don't expect them to go and, you know, play like, you know, game seven of the Stanley Cup every night. Right. But at the same time, you know, they don't have that same kind of luxury this year. Right. You know, they are what they're up like five points on a playoff spot. They're still probably a playoff team, maybe. But Mm -hmm. like unlike years past, you know, where by mid-Jan, early Feb, you know, they had basically locked up a playoff spot. You would not say that about the team this year. It's going to be really interesting, I think, to see kind of this next stretch here and, you know, whether they can, uh, you know, really try to get that urgency back because they're going to probably need it to get a playoff spot. Yeah, I mean, and it's crazy. Just looking at the standings right now, I mean, Washington's 27, 20, and 6, 60 points, first uh, spot in the wild card situation. They've played 53 games, and Buffalo, who's on the outside looking in, has played 49 games, has 56 points. So the Caps could very easily, by the end of the All-Star break, when other teams are playing, be looking on the outside and being like, how did we get here? And you're going to be pointing to some of these games where they could have had two points and lost it, or you know they had the game in Vegas where TJ Oshie said they were just completely disinterested. Which is yeah. something you never want to hear in the midst of a, a true playoff fight. No, no. Or, I mean, you look at, like, I mean, frankly, the Toronto game where it seems like yes. the kind of second half of that game, it was a combination of, uh, you know, maybe you, I, I, I don't know if I want to say different weight class of team, but maybe mm-hmm. we say that. But also just, you know, it seemed like kind of once things started to go sour in that game, they never, never really were able to kind of put the pieces back together. No, absolutely. I mean, even Kuznetsov said the other night, he's like, yeah, that was a bad game. Like, we yeah. needed some moral win after that, because if we didn't, then who knows what would happen. Now they're sitting at 58 points into the All-Star break. And yeah. Buffalo's no, at that was a, that was like, a good. Yeah, no, it was, that was a win they kind of needed, you would say, against against Columbus. But now they have 10 days off, which is a long time. <laughs> and so I was going to ask, I mean, what do we think the impact of the 10 days off is? And I was in a kind of a sub question to that is, 
obviously they have some players playing through some things that is uh not exactly you know quiet you can see it on the ice but like kind of what do we i mean one who do we think is playing through the worst things right now and two what do we think the impact of that that kind of 10 game stretch or 10 10 day stretch is going to be yeah i guess i would say i mean i always want to think that 10 games is good uh, for a team especially with a team with injuries but yes. I do feel like this team has done better when they've been playing continuous hockey I yeah. think sometimes when they've had a break and had to come back like it takes a few games for guys to get their legs back under them like there's a little less urgency than if you're playing every other day and I would like yeah to that seems like the sweet good, spot but for the yeah. gaps right you know yeah. it's like the every other day is like when they really seem to kind of get in more of a rhythm yeah, it, it, so I think it's super weird because you would think at this time of the year, like like we said, guys would need the time to rest up and get ready and go for the final push. But I do think this team is at its best when it's rolling and it's constantly getting out there every night. So I'm going to be super interested to see what happens. Um, but I I think it could get rocky really fast, but feel free to prove me wrong. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Um, okay. So um, the, the other thing is uh, because, yeah, this is uh, one of, you know, this is probably your, your, your last podcast, you know? And so the a kind of caps related thing that, you know, I'd like to go into is deadline and trade deadline because, you know, we are, um, you know, we're, we're kind of at the stretch now where the caps need to be making these kind of judgment calls. And, um, you know, there's been a couple of rumors about, you know, players that might be on the move might not be. But I think before I go into those specific things, what do we think the Caps' needs are at the deadline, if any? A lot. Um, <laughs> um, not being a beat that frees you up now. <laughs> say, what you, say what you really I think. <laughs> I know. Um, no, I mean, I think Brian McClellan knows that this is a crucial, crucial trade deadline. Yes. Uh, I believe he said the other day to John Walton that they're going to wait till pretty much the last possible minute to figure out exactly what they need to do and who they're going to try to ship, who they're going to try to bring in, what positions. Um, You know, the biggest thing coming into the season was, oh, the trade deadline will be the time for like Tom and Nick and how Mm -hmm. they're feeling and how they look and how do we help them. But now I think it's again on the blue line. I feel like the Caps have always gotten guys on the blue line at the trade deadline, but now with Carlson out for – an extended period of time, does Mac try to go out and make a big move and get a bigger guy to bolster their blue line? Does he try to figure out what to do with Anthony Mantha, Lars Eller? Are those both names on the table? Is there something there? Is he going to get anything back uh, for them that's viable or do you stick with them? So I think there's going to be a lot of conversations um, headed up to that point. And I think for McClellan, he always seems to, you know, make the right move in the end um, yes. with exactly what he wants to do. And I think he takes a lot of time just talking to a bunch of people and figuring out what's best overall. But I think this is going to be a super important trade deadline, not only for the Caps this year, but kind of how they want to shape their team moving forward as well. No, absolutely. And I, I mean, I was going to, you keyed in on the two players I was going to ask about, um, but I think I'm going to ask about it this way and we'll, we'll take them one at a time here. I mean, Anthony Mantha, because they seem like they're in kind of different situations a little bit. Yes. Like, Anthony Mantha is a guy that, you know, it just doesn't, I just don't know, like, how good, like, you wouldn't ever say, I think, you know, and you've covered him his entirety of the time on the Capitals. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they've ever really had a consistent role for Anthony Mantha, like, while he's been a Capital. You know, like, I mean, I think, like, they'd always had him pegged as a top six player, which he is, but... It's just like, you know, I mean, it, it even before this year, you know, you wouldn't exactly say he was like always sketched into the same spot of the lineup. And then this year, it seems like things have kind of deteriorated a little bit. And I'm I'm kind of curious, like, I mean, do I mean, I guess, one, what do we think it is that's led the Caps up to this point? And two, you know, do we think that he's going to be a capital in a few weeks? I mean, Anthony Mantha, what a question. Yeah. <laughs> I... <laughs> I think overall, when I think of him and with the Caps, I think you're right. Like, it's been tough for him to find a solid place in the lineup. But also, the way that he plays the game, I think, is so interesting because I think the coaching staff really wants to see more from him in a lot of different areas. And he hasn't been able to deliver on a 
consistent nightly basis. And for a guy with his size and his stature and the contract that he has right now, you would expect to see him showing up, if not every night, every other night. And it seems, you know, most of the time that he's not there. Where he just disappears, you know? Yes. And it's, you know, we can go back to, it's a guy like Evgeny Kuznetsov, right? When you notice him, you notice him. And when you don't, it's all for the wrong reasons. Yes. So I think with Mantha, you know, he had that really great playoff game last year where he had the 10 hits and he made the joke that, oh, you're never going to see this from me again. And we haven't, quite frankly. No, <laughs> um, no you have not. Haven't. <laughs> but everyone <laughs> thought that that was his best game. And that was like, that's what he could be. That's what he could do for this team. And when Tom Wilson went down with the ACL, all of a sudden it was, oh, Anthony Mantha, like you're up. And yeah. there was a big kind of consensus that the season would be his breakout year because it had to be. And yeah. now it just never it, happened. It just never happened. So yeah. now what do you do with a player that you kind of put a bunch of pressure on to have a breakout year um, under yeah. the circumstances and he just hasn't done it yet. And now he's been scratched a handful of times from a coach that's, you know, seen the same thing. So yeah. now I think you're kind of at odds of, well, how much do we want to try to work on this ourselves, right? This is a personal yeah. problem. Or is this a we're going to let someone else try this because we don't know what to do anymore? Yeah. Um, but, I mean, he's still obviously a very talented player. He, yes. you know, dictates play on the ice when he wants to. But it feels like those times are maybe fewer than the coach wants. And that's why he was a healthy scratch. And it's it doesn't seem like he's react. I mean... He could say what he says, you know, in the presser and everything. Mm-hmm. And like, I, you know, I accept that, you know, it sounds like he's saying the right things, right? But you wouldn't, I don't know. It, to me, like since this kind of healthy scratch on and off the lineup, I mean, that would be a tough situation for any NHL player, right? It's not easy to kind of have that balance. But you wouldn't exactly say he's covered himself in glory since exactly that started, you know? Yeah, no, exactly. And I think... For him, I mean, he was pretty blunt when he first was a healthy scratch. And he was like, yeah, it's my work ethic. Like, the coaches want to see a better work ethic, which is a pretty glaring red flag for, you know, a player to say out loud. Um, (laughs) So I think for him, you know, saying that, working on it, getting back in the lineup, I just, I personally don't know how much more he can show. Um. At this point, you know, from now until the trade deadline, like, is this it? Is this all he is going to do? Um, Who knows? Maybe he kind of catches fire and he has a great next two weeks. And all of a sudden the caps are, okay, maybe we don't need to, you know, trade him away and get some assets back. peanuts or whatever on the dollar for him. But yeah. (laughs) And I think overall, like, (laughs) (laughs) Like you want to see him succeed here, right? No one doesn't want to see him succeed here. It's just how do you get the most out of this player? And maybe it's the line combinations. Maybe it's the not putting him on the power play. But those decisions are all based on things on the ice. And so if he didn't earn them or maybe – the coaching staff doesn't feel like he deserves that based on his five on five play, then you can't argue with that. No, exactly. Exactly. And I mean, to contrast with Lars Eller, I mean, I think Eller, you would say pretty much throughout has been the consummate professional, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think that's ever been the issue with Lars Eller. I think the issue with Lars Eller, frankly, (laughs) is that, you know, I just, yeah, I mean, he's had some injuries and I just, it just seems like he's kind of the like, things are starting to slow down a little bit, maybe, you know, or maybe like, you know, it's, I think it, it's been hard. Cause I mean, I think his, his has been more, I think kind of overall play kind of, you know, trending to the lineup bubble, right. You know, with him. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know, you know, I think for him, I'm a little, I think it's a little, almost, I would say simpler of a story, you know, of a guy who's like now in his like early to mid thirties and, yeah. you know, is like, I, I, I mean, the caps have a number of guys who defy aging curves, but Maybe maybe Lars Eller is just a guy who isn't going to defy aging curves, you know, that maybe is starting to slow down a little bit. And I don't know. I mean, like, I'm I'm kind of curious, though, your thoughts, because, I mean, it seems like the Caps have given him a lot of opportunities to try to mm-hmm. stay in the lineup. And, you know, he still kind of finds himself in the bubble. So I'm kind of curious, where do you see the Caps and Lars Eller right now? Yeah, I mean, I think right now it's tough because when you look at the score sheet, right, when you see the goals and 
it's not there. And yeah. it hasn't been there for a couple of years. And it yeah. felt like last season, you know, he acknowledged it and was like, obviously had a bad year. Like, that's not what I want. And then you come out this year and now it's kind of the same story again, where he felt like he was getting, you know, some veteran wingers next to him. He was going to have this stable situation. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you know, injuries start occurring left and right. Backstrom and Wilson are back. Now we're juggling everything up and he's had a bad year. So I think with Lars, it is more straightforward. It's okay. Like we're seeing the age factor. We're seeing the other players around him kind of doing more, but he's also always been there, you know, first tell like Swiss army knife, third line center. Like when he does his job, he does it very well. You notice him when there's those little mental slip ups on the ice and, you know, the penalties for, you know, in the offensive zone or things like that. Um, but to his credit, I mean, the last few games, I've thought he's been a lot better and more noticeable. And you've seen him trying on the ice, definitely more yeah. than others. No, and I mean, obviously with Lars Eller, you never would say it's a work ethic issue. Like that, exactly. that would not be in like the top 30 things that I would do <laughs> him, you know? Exactly. It's just, yeah, I mean, you know, like... He's getting more it's, Like he seems like him on the PK the other night, like... yeah. He is an impact player in spurts, but again, yes. like, you cannot have that on this team where they need everyone, and not to sound like Peter Laviolette, but you need everyone pulling the rope. No, they really do, you and know, because I mean, this isn't a, I mean, they're cool, I mean, obviously, like, Ovechkin's still Ovechkin, right? But, you know, I mean, he's not, like, Connor McDavid level mm-hmm. now, right? You know, like, they need everyone to be playing really well for them to, you know, have a shot at this, and, you know, I mean, say nothing about advancing in the playoffs you know just even to get there at this point they're going to need a lot to you know a decent amount to go right you know and so definitely. yeah I mean Eller be it you know kind of figuring things out would I think definitely help no 100 percent. and I think you know we've seen like he's been able to get there and he's been able to sustain it in stretches I just yeah. think he needs to find some way to do it for a longer amount of time and whether that's consistency with his wingers or just other guys stepping up and therefore helping him is maybe the best way to go. <laughs> yes, yes. All right. So I'm going to ask two more kind of questions, and then we're going to take a quick break. Uh, although I don't know if we have sponsors anymore because, you know, Piper's <laughs> Rick as an entity is kind of in an interesting place. Uh, but, uh, you know, we'll we'll take what I think is going to be a break, and then we'll see if there's actually commercials or not. But uh, but the, the final two questions before the break are, uh, I guess, kind of gut check. Like, do we think this is still a playoff team or not? Like, I know that's kind of a simple, blunt question, but I'm, I'm curious what you think. <laughs> uh, it's so hard because, so on my last trip uh, to Toronto and Columbus, I was talking to other people on the beat and we were doing this game where we had to basically just try to count how many wins we thought the Capitals would have between yeah. now and the end of the year. And pretty much we all came to the same conclusion that the Caps are going to be playing for a playoff spot the last week of the season. Oh boy. Like it's (laughs) going to be a very, very tight race to the finish. And if the Caps decide to kind of take a few games off, that's not going to cut it. Uh, And especially now with, you know, the Islanders making that blockbuster move, that's a whole nother situation in the Metro that they have to worry about. And maybe some of those gimme games are not gimmies anymore. And mm-hmm. then you add whatever craziness happens at the deadline. I mean, Pittsburgh seems to always add someone that makes their team yep. a lot better. They're the kind of team that's kind of hanging around there that, exactly. you know, their underlying numbers are better than you think they'd be, you know, and it's like yes. kind of, you know, if they get hot, they could really kind of put the Caps in a real bind. Exactly. And I mean, the Sabres, Tage yep. Thompson, what they're building there, and they could go on a heater and get on a run. So I think the Caps are really in trouble with the teams that are, right now kind of not I wouldn't say in their primes but just in this season are kind of at their peaks and they're kind of racing and they can see the finish line and they're very determined to pass who's ahead of them and the caps Mm -hmm. are kind of clinging on and just kind of praying that no one will catch up yeah which we will see we'll see and then I guess before we take the break I was gonna you know we're gonna we're gonna spend some time thinking about you know the beat and all that kind of stuff at the other side but I think I'm kind of curious, like, you know, before we go into that, I'm kind of curious about, I mean, you've covered the Caps for four years now, and uh, every single year it's been a first-round loss, uh, you know, (laughs) which I'm sure you're kind of well aware of, and they might be on their way to that this year. Uh, We'll see, but if they even get there. But 
I guess I'm kind of curious, like your thoughts on the direction of the team, even given the first round losses. I mean, I think even at the start of your, your, your kind of time at the beat, you would have said, all right, like the window is closing, yada, yada. I got like, I said that so many times that I got tired of (laughs) saying it. And then I get tired of being tired of saying it. So, you know, it's like, it kind of was what it was, but like, I don't know. It's been interesting how, at least to me, it seems like the, the meta narrative around this team has kind of been consistent, right? That they've always been like, is the window closing, but they seem to have just like kind of been on the edge and I, I don't know, I'm kind of curious about where do we think the direction of this team is and kind of what is the journey they took while you were there, the, covering them and kind of where do you see that journey culminating in right now? Yeah, I would definitely say the journey, at least in the last four years that I've been covering this team has always seemingly been, and I'm sure Ted Leonsis will say the same thing, like they're building around the core, right? Yeah. They're building around Ovi and Nick and Carlson. and they made a promise to these guys that they're going to, you know, stick with them to the end. And that's what they determined after, you know, re-signing Alex, re-signing Nick to these huge, you know, deals. And I think for the Caps, they've always just been trying to, you know, kind of cherry pick guys and figure out who that fits best. Um, Not only in their system, but with those guys as well. So I won't say it was like plugging holes, but kind of like plugging holes, you know, just figure out who fits best. And I kind of like I said earlier, I think the trade deadline in this offseason is going to be a huge indication of the direction of this team. It's, are you willing to kind of part with these guys that, you know, in a Lars Eller's case, you've known for a bit, or a guy like Anthony Mantha, who you thought would come and bring this huge impact, and are you willing to kind of cut your losses, or do you still kind of believe in that group of new guys and the new wave of players that you brought in and how much do you depend on Tom Wilson and, you know, the Martin Faravari's of the world and Eric What do we think about Nick Backstrom even, you know, at this point? Exactly. Like how many years does Nick have left? Is he going to finish out this contract? So I think there's a lot of moving pieces, but it does feel like we're kind of at the tail end, like once again, of the window. Um, (laughs) But I mean, Alex Ovechkin is still playing hockey, right? So yes. I don't think you can be like, oh, well, it's fine, Alex. We're just going to totally tear down everything around you because that's not what was promised. That's not what has always been in the cards for this team. No. So I still think that they're going to try till the very end to get another cup and to build around him. But at some point, I think there has to be some very serious conversations about what the future looks like. Yeah, yeah. And we'll we'll see those as they as they play out. Uh, with that, we're gonna take a break, I think. And uh, on the <laughs> other side, uh, I am gonna open up the mailbag a little bit, and we're gonna talk about being a beat writer in the NHL and and, some, and Sam's experiences with it. So with that, stay tuned. Welcome back to Jay Fisher Drink Radio. Uh, I think we came back from a break. I guess we're going to find out. Um, I guess, uh, Sam, we're, uh, we're, you're not the only one going through change. Because uh, I think for Japers, we don't really know what's going on. So I guess we're going we're gonna to find out together. But, uh, but anyways, um, so I, I think I was going to kind of, I've always been curious about a couple of things, you know, about being a beat writer. But one of the big meta narratives, or not meta narratives, that's a stupid way to say it. I think one of the ways I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask this is, Obviously, you joined the beat, and you know it seems like uh, what, like a six months later or something, COVID happens, and mm-hmm. you know <laughs> then we're you know kind of in a position where everything went helter skelter for like a year and a half. And I was I was kind of curious if you could t- kind of reflect on how COVID impacted the beat a little bit, and you know I mean both you know in terms of how you think it, it meant for covering the Capitals and just kind of. I don't know, like the difficulties of it, you know, in terms of doing the beat and, you know, what it meant to see kind of the easing off that has happened, you know, and kind of what, what, what was that really like ultimately? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think COVID was really tough on everyone uh, in the sports industry, especially in sports journalism, because as we've kind of discussed before, I'm sure at multiple times, it's so much easier to write good stories when you're face to face with people in a locker room. It's very hard to do that during a worldwide pandemic uh, when you're stuck to your laptop and Zoom and you're asking the same questions to guys that everyone else is asking and you're all hearing the same thing and it's less, you know, jokes and, you know, it's harder to be, I guess, lighthearted 
and there's just a little more like heaviness of everything. It's a little more structured. And so I think COVID just took a lot out um, of people and made a lot of people kind of rethink their perspectives and how do we cover this in an intriguing way. And at some times it was just like, we couldn't, we frankly couldn't because there was nothing, you know, extremely new or interesting that we could kind of pull um, or do during a time when there's just so much going around in the world. So I think when we ultimately came back from COVID, there was still kind of like a testing out period of, okay, well, people still aren't even in arenas. We're the only one in arenas. This is super weird. There's like no fans. They look like preseason games every single night. I think 100% agreed with all the players that said it was hard to get up for games, quite honestly. Oh, I'm sure, right? It was just awkward to listen to it. Exactly. It was piped in crowd noise. It was like, I'm sitting in the suites in Capital One watching games. Like it, totally bizarre situation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it threw a lot of people and like just reporting from a, a sports journalism side for everything. It was almost like you got used to it, but you never, I don't know, I think truly realized the impact until you look back at it and you're like, what yeah. a crazy time. And what like an unfortunate time when it felt like so much was going right, especially like for the capitals, I think in general. Right. Um, yeah. Sure. say that things were maybe going to start trending back in the right direction after you know some time and then all of a sudden all, all of this happens <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah it's it's definitely it's definitely been kind of interesting because obviously sports is not immune from you know the big societal questions that we've had to face with covid you know and it's it's it's, it's interesting because i think for a lot of people me included in a way sports is kind of an escape but you know, it's not right. The reality is that, I mean, you know, problems don't exit, you know, when you, you know, suit up in an NHL arena. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's, I, I, I always thought that that balance is tough. Right. I mean, I look at kind of my time with Japers and my, my single most read article ever was arguing that the NHL needed to shut down, like, you know, in the middle of like what yet another COVID outbreak, but you know, it's, it's just, I think it's always been tough for me you know, as someone who I guess is caps adjacent, you know, say nothing about like you who is more in it every day, you know, that it's always kind of a tricky balance to figure out like, you know, do we want this to be an escape or how do we kind of talk about, you know, the issues that, you know, are circling around hockey, you know, while also kind of still trying to keep, you know, the sport in front of center, you know? Yeah. And especially like, I look back now at some of the crazy stuff of you know, guys getting COVID and all the different COVID rules and how people were so upset of if, you know, we weren't able to say like, oh, so-and-so has COVID. And it's like, (laughs) (laughs) it's the same argument, right? Like lower body, upper body. Like, yes, of course I know who has coronavirus. Obviously I know, but these rules are rules and I'm not going to go and violate those for absolutely no reason other than to put it on Twitter. So I just looking back at it now, I think some of the stuff that we were complaining about or were upset about is just ridiculous in, in the terms of the world and what was going on. And yeah, you know, well, and I mean, I think it's like, back. like at least yeah. the hockey was back. <laughs> no, exactly. Well, I mean, I think even for me, I mean, like I, in the earlier segment, I asked you a question about Lars Eller, right? Mm-hmm. But like, it's impossible to tell the story of Lars Eller with not, without talking about the fact that he got COVID <laughs> pretty badly twice and it really yeah. hurt him last year. Like, obviously, yeah. right? You know what yeah. I mean? A lot of people got COVID, but like, he got it like, I think worse than most. And it's, you know, obviously it affected him, but it's interesting how that kind of like disappeared. I mean, it disappeared from my consciousness, you know, mm-hmm. before, right. It's, it's kind of interesting, you know, how, you know, look back on it and think it made such a big impact at the time, but now it's like not even in our consciousness in a lot anymore. Exactly. It's almost like, Oh, you push it aside because you think it's another injury when yeah. like in reality, it's not like, you know, Kuznetsov said, when he got COVID, he had to use like an inhaler for the rest of the season. And yep. it, was like, it was hard to breathe. With Lars, he got COVID multiple times. He had to quarantine by himself in a hotel in Anaheim for mm-hmm. 10 days. And I believe yep. it was Vancouver <laughs> for another 10 days. So yep. <laughs> like that can also mess with the player. Like I was in Toronto for 14 days in a hotel just to go cover a bubble game. I and remember that. I was like, look, I thought about this the other day and I'm like, 
I was insane. Who would go sit in a hotel room for two weeks during a global pandemic? Yeah. But like some of yeah. these things, like you, we just have no sense of like what it really means in the long term when you're in it. Cause you're like, Oh, of course, like, Oh, no worries. Lars is just in a hotel for 10 days. Well, you know, what could go wrong? But yeah. it's like, no, like this guy is by himself for 10 days. Away sick. from his family. Away from you his know, family. like, yeah, it's, it's exhausting. Like, it's it's really difficult. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to go from this to another fun question, which is, uh, I did get a question about, uh, you know, Ovechkin and Putin, and I'm not going to phrase it that way. But what I am going to ask about is the Caps obviously have a number of Russian players, right? And I, like, I mean, I'm kind of curious, like, you know, reflecting back on, you know, life since the, you know, Russia's invasion of Ukraine and, you know, I mean, obviously that was an interesting thing at the time, you know, everyone knew that Ovechkin was going to have to say something, but like, I mean, do we think this is like something like the Caps Russian players think about at all ever? Like, I mean, and if not, like kind of what was that moment still like, you know, when that was swirling around and it's obviously, you know, I mean, I think we both know someone, you know, like, I mean, the former beat writer of the Washington Post, of course, Isabel Karshudian is literally in Ukraine still covering this. Right. Yeah. And so I don't know, it's kind of an interesting, like, like I won't say symmetry, but you know, an interesting, again, thing of the real world invading hockey in a way. Right. And I'm kind of curious, like, you know, what that was like, you know, covering, the capitals with a number of prominent Russian players while that was going on. And is it something that they think about at all still, do you think? I honestly don't think they think about it now. Okay. And they probably, I mean, in my opinion, I think maybe they think about it more in the terms of people that they know directly there and people that they know in Ukraine and Russia. And um, they, I mean, Kuznetsov, Orlov, even Samsonov, at the time, never said anything publicly uh, Mm -hmm. about any of this. So I think for them, they've never also been asked. I don't think anyone's thought, oh, like Dmitry Orlov needs to answer for this. But Alex Ovechkin, because of obviously his history and his relationships, needs to answer for this. So I think looking back at it, we made it very clear, we, meaning (laughs) me and Tarek Elbashir, who's also on the beat, made it pretty clear to Alex, like, if he wants to say something, then he can say something. And Alex, instead of a statement, decided to sit down, do a press conference, and yeah. answer questions back and forth. There was never a statement that he read. And yes, it did take a significant amount of questions and direct questions for him to answer exactly what people wanted to know. But I do give him credit for that. And mm-hmm. actually sitting there and having a, a conversation I guess you could say but I think even now I mean I feel like some people do ask him I think someone asked before the season about it and he didn't really answer the question so I'm not sure how much people have tried to dig into it and if he still thinks about it what he thinks now but I still do think at the time it was a fair question to say but I think after his first answer I'm just not sure what else he could have said um, in terms of... Yeah, and I mean, obviously there's stuff going on behind the scenes that, you know, we're both aware of a little bit, right? You know, that he has to, I think it's safe to say, be careful, right? Obviously with Mm -hmm. what he says, because it's, uh, you know, Vladimir Putin is not exactly, uh, I think you would say, the most forgiving kind of individual with this kind of stuff. And uh, Ovechkin is a high-profile athlete. And I mean, what he says on this does matter. Right. Like, I mean, it's as you said, you know, that's a fair question. And, you know, but at the same time, right, you know, it's also if he doesn't want to talk about it, then what are you going to do? You know? Right. Yeah. I I will not be at Alex Ovechkin's house, like banging on the door, asking him to (laughs) answer all my questions. I think for us as journalists, right, all we can do is ask the questions and hope to get the truth. And (laughs) that's our jobs. And if people want to talk to us, then people want to talk to us. And, Maybe we'll try and try and try again and they can keep saying no, but at least we're trying. So yeah. I do commend Alex for at least answering the questions, even if people don't think he answered the right way. For sure. For sure. Okay. All right. That is the, uh, all right. I asked the two hard questions. Uh, so now we're going to do more fun stuff. Um, <laughs> so I promise. Uh, so um, the, uh, 
I we got we got some fan questions, and then I'm gonna kind of you know conclude with you know a couple of my own. So one of the questions is, uh, and I'm gonna actually ask this in a three part fashion. So. Okay. Um, what is the, and I, I, I only say this because you, on Instagram, I think you've been, uh, you know, pretty, uh, I think it's uh, safe to say food oriented, which I appreciate. Um, so let me, let me, let me ask it this way. What is the best arena food that Samantha Pell has eaten? Hmm. So typically I actually haven't eaten arena food because typically we're spoiled in media and we have like media meals. I'm coming up with that soon. That's that's my next yes. question. But uh. yes. So honestly, I've only had the tacos at Capital One, and those are actually very good. Okay. Um, like the Korean tacos at Cap One, but I'm pretty sure I also saw somewhere else. I think maybe it's Dallas that has like a Slurpee machine. You can go oh, get like that's Slurpees awesome. at the game. I'm pretty sure it was Dallas, but that would probably be the number one thing because I have never seen that. In an NHL no, before, <laughs> absolutely. Well, and I mean that's that's what I, actually what I when I when I when I first moved to uh, to Europe, uh, Denmark actually is a big slushy place. They call it slush ice, and so it's uh and they and they have Seven Elevens there, so I can get a slush ice at Seven Eleven, and it kind of feels like home, which I which I always appreciate. So on a related question, um, what is your favorite arena to eat in terms of the beat writer lunch or dinners? Like, is there any one? arena or team that stands out in particular as having, I guess, either both uniquely good or uniquely not good food? Ooh, um, oh my gosh, where was I? This is going to take, I was in Detroit. Detroit has that brand new arena yep. and they have a very good <laughs> dinner selection. Oh, nice. Um, yes. There's a lot of different, like, I don't know, all different hot foods. It seemed to have like four different just like types of foods in general like pizza and meats and sides and hot dogs and desserts and drinks and that was probably like the most elaborate I've seen uh in Chicago there's a lot of free food so like when you go (laughs) up in the press box they have like free salads free like veggies and hummus um like a lot of random things. Oh, that's actually got to be nice because I'm sure yes. you get a lot of junk on oh the my beat, gosh. right? It, so, you know, yes. getting like salad, I'm sure at a certain point is probably just appreciated. Yeah, I think when, so I think when Alex was, that was the night that he got the hat trick in Chicago and yep. Tom Galetti was there and we were just like talking about how much we love this veggie hummus situation because none of us had had like vegetables in a week. Uh, <laughs> so that was the highlight of my night before Alex decided to just go out and score a hat trick for fun. There you go. There you go. There you go. All right. And then I guess uh, the best food in general, like while you've been on the beat, what is the, is there any in particular meal that stands out just because I, I guess one of the mm-hmm. cool things about being a beat writer, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously all of the travel is exhausting and stressful, but you do get a lot of different like kind of cuisines that you can try. So is there any in particular meal that stands out? Oh gosh. Um, wow, this is going to be tough. Um, yeah, we ask hard questions on this on this podcast. I know. I'm like, I'm sure you, yeah, I don't. I don't. I'm a hardcore journalist, with we all know. Um, <laughs> Listen, I love food questions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I feel like this is such a lame answer because it's not very unique. But whenever we go to Vegas, uh, I feel like I always have some of like the best food, and it's from like some of the most basic places like <laughs> Momofuku yeah. in the Cosmo hotel has like an amazing truffle ramen that, oh, that sounds amazing. I was like, Oh, <laughs> I would never get that just sitting by myself. But here I am on a Thursday night eating my truffle ramen by myself <laughs> before the caps came tomorrow. Um, but there's also places like, I guess my actual favorite is Vancouver. Uh, always get sushi in Vancouver. Yes. And there's a spot called Miku, which is right by the water okay. that a lot of people go to. And it's just like the freshest fish ever. And it's probably yeah. the one thing I'm like always looking forward to. Of, oh, I need to get a reservation here or else there's no point in my trip to Vancouver. Yeah. Well, it was, it was always funny because I think I think we hung out once in Columbus. And I remember thinking, oh, I don't know where I would tell you to get food in this city. <laughs> you know, and I was like, all right, like maybe that was my time to uh, maybe that was my cue to leave. Although uh, 
I guess don't tell Allison Lodkin that I said or uh, Luke Ann that I said that. But uh, yeah, that's uh, yeah. I uh, that was yeah. I just remember thinking, oh yeah, I had no idea where to say we should go because you know yeah, there, there's just food. There. Uh-huh. Not to not to not to shit on Columbus, but you know there you go. I get to get to <laughs> have that little shove out the door as we go. Um, okay, so we have another question here, which is uh, the best. Who is your favorite player to? I know this is kind of a conventional question, but whatever. Um, who is the best player to interview and the 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 sub the twist that they added is did that change after a loss? <laughs> um, the answer is most likely yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I think most of them are a little grumpy, honestly. Of after course. losses. Um, who's my who's my favorite player? Um, I have a couple for different reasons. I think it depends on what you want. Uh, sure. Kuznetsov has always been hilarious to deal with and talk to and he has yeah I mean he says whatever he wants he's very bluntly yes. honest so sometimes I'll talk to him about things I'm like wow I didn't know this or this was a different perspective than I thought uh, so I think he's really interesting to talk to but when you want stuff and when you want hockey technical stuff I mean that's Lars Eller yes. Lars will yep. break Famously stuff down so. yep. yes he will break film down he will say this is why this happened and this is why this will happen you know five games from now so mm-hmm. <laughs> I think Lars has always been great um TJ Oshi always knows what to say how to mm-hmm. say it but he's also very honest at the same time I mean TJ's been hurt so many times since I've been here in yes. Washington and anytime I've ever asked him about it off to the side or in a scrum like he's been very open and honest about the struggles that he's been through and I think maybe for a lot of guys, it's hard to talk about. And especially, you know, towards the end of his career as well, right? Like he acknowledges things Mm of, I am getting older and this is why, and this is what I have to do to kind of combat age. And I'm not afraid to talk about it and, you know, acknowledge it. So I really respect him for that. And I think there's a couple guys on this team that do the same. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And uh, I, I was just reading uh, Sammy Silver had a uh, good kind of in-depth piece with uh, TJ Oshie on that exact issue. So uh, recommend, recommend uh, also friend, uh, other Sam friend of the pod, uh, <laughs> Sammy Silver with that one. Uh, okay, so um, I'm going to skip a couple of questions here because we're running long as always. Um, I like, I mean, the um, I was listening a couple of days ago to uh, Stringham's last podcast with Isabel Kershuti, and and the question he asked her is, is there any? And I'm going to ask you this: um, Is there any kind of story that, like, you know, that maybe you didn't get to tell that, like, you would, you know, want to, you know, kind of like any behind the scenes stuff or anything that, like, is a story that you like would have loved to tell, but like, you know, for whatever reason didn't or something like that. Hmm. Unload the notebook because I know you got some stuff. I know. I'm like, I do got some stuff. I have a couple stories that I'm going to put out this week or next week. So I'm not completely done yet. So those will come out. But I don't know. I think for one reason or another, like actually doing an in-depth story on Kuznetsov would have been so fun and so cool just to see like his everyday life. Like I would love to see what Vanny Kuznetsov does away from the rink. And like, like, Just I like how like, does this human being live yeah. and go throughout the world? Yeah, like I, I feel like he's such an interesting person and with all the interactions and I feel like, you know, we can always wish that an Alex Ovechkin would do something in depth like that um, as well. But I feel like with either of those guys, it's just like you're some of the top hockey players in the world. Like, what is your everyday life like? Like you just go yeah. home and eat dinner and watch TV. Like that's it. And then you go to the rink the next day and you know, some of his feelings on, you know, the game. And I think with Evgeny, it's always been interesting because whenever I've talked to him about his kids, he's always said, yeah, no, I don't want them in hockey. Like I yeah. don't want them to live this life. And so I've always found that super interesting about how he's like very open about them, you know, his kids not being in this world yet he's actively in this world and is still very much in it. So Mm -hmm. I'd love to know more about where that came from and just there has to be something more there. I think it's super interesting. No, absolutely. And is there any other behind the scenes stuff that's interesting or any, uh, you know, any kind of other thing that, you know, like uh, that's, that's worth knowing. Hmm. Um, I guess I was always fascinated with 
it's such a weird like hockey thing, but like all the equipment people and yeah. how they get all the equipment. That's a great answer. Yeah, because they, they have like such interesting <laughs> jobs and they have like yeah. the best stories, but like no one ever thinks to talk to them. Exactly. And like they're great people. Uh, yes. I saw them the other the other night and just like said hi, bye to them. But like they have to be at the rink so early on game days, mm-hmm. like setting up stuff and they have to like tear everything down and like constantly be moving back and forth. And I bet like they see so much too, right? Like yes. they get to see like what happens with all these guys behind the scenes and they have to deal with all these different, you know, problems that probably pop up every day that would not be a problem because we wouldn't know about it. So they probably mm-hmm. put out fires all the time. So I think that life is like severely, severely underrated. And yes. I love like a behind the scenes of what in the world these guys do and how are they like still alive? <laughs> no, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. All right. So I the one of the one of the last things I'm gonna ask you is about the OT thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I'm gonna ask it like I'm gonna ask like what is I think a basic question, but like I don't think it's asked ever. And it's, why is OT annoying as a beat writer? Like, kind of take us into exactly why. Because I think that, like, for whatever reason, everyone kind of knows about the memes, you know, and the the stuff about you not liking OT. But I think, like, it's worth thinking about, like, why that's annoying. And, like, so, yeah. like, kind of take, take us behind the scenes a little bit there. Like, what exactly is it about OT that makes your life as a beat writer more difficult? Yeah, so I will say, first off, I think OT is so fun to watch when I'm yes. like not on deadline like three on three obviously like some of the best players in the world are going at it and mm-hmm. I think for a beat writer it's annoying because at least for us at the post you file your game story right when the game ends and this is not like 10 minutes after the game ends or five minutes after the game ends this is like you have written your entire story including the game winning goal and how it happened when the yep. buzzer ends so when it goes into overtime, right, next goal wins. So when it just happens, you have to already have your story written of a win or loss. So usually, like, I have both a whole win story and a loss story in a Word document. Yep. And I have to do that before overtime happens. Sometimes I'm banking on the Caps winning and I only have my winning story. Then all of a sudden, the Caps blow a lead. And here comes overtime. Yep, control, and, control, alt, delete, yes. right? You and know? <laughs> now I have to go and build out a losing story. But don't worry, because they can still win. So now I still have to have two separate stories of the results. And so I think as a beat writer, it's just hard because everything happens so fast. I mean, we talked about Columbus the other night. Evgeny Kuznetsov scored in 26 seconds. Like yes. that was as bang, bang as it could have happened. Mm-hmm. And so I had to be prepared of, okay, the Caps won. Now I have to put in my story of Genny Kuznetsov, how it happened, why this is ridiculous. Oh, and also he hasn't scored in a million years. And all these little details. While I'm in the press box, while the team is celebrating, going off the ice, while while I should be downstairs waiting for them to come off the ice, I'm upstairs writing (laughs) and filing my story. And then I have to run downstairs and talk to the players in the room before they all leave to get on the team plane to go home. So <laughs> it's more logistics than anything else is why we dread overtime because it's so quick and it's so abrupt versus mm-hmm. a blowout 4-0 game, right? Like you could be- Yeah, those are your dream, right? Period. Because, yeah. you know, you could write this, <laughs> write the game or it'll be done halfway through the third period. And then, you know, you get to actually have like a normal kind of, kind of night well as normal as a beat writer night can be i guess (laughs) exactly and obviously you know we know sports there's never going to be a blowout every single night but some games you can kind of tell where you know the ice is shifting like you take Mm -hmm. some guesses you say oh yeah the caps look good tonight like they look good through 40 45 minutes like i'm gonna hedge my bets and just start going full send into this one story in this direction at this angle and then all of a sudden you know, everything goes wild and now you have nothing in overtime (laughs) and you're sitting there going, okay, well, this is a mess, but I have to figure it out somehow in the two minutes before this overtime period starts so that I can actually watch the three on three play happen. (laughs) So that's pretty much why. Uh, Is there any game in particular that was like uniquely horrible that you can remember or any like, you know, any of the, the, any of what was the worst? Is there any that stand out? 
this one didn't even go into overtime. I don't believe. I'm pretty sure it was the Sharks. It was the Cavs oh, yeah. and the Sharks. And I think I'd actually tweeted at one point that the game was over. <laughs> and I remember, like, I got blamed on it on Twitter because I think it was probably in my first year. And I'm like, oh, like an insurance goal by the Sharks. Like, this one's over. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, it clearly was not over. And the Cavs scored, like, two goals in a it was like 15 seconds or something. Yeah. yeah. It was insane. And I'm pretty sure that was one of my most just like, what is even happening moments? Yeah. <laughs> and a complete rewrite, like panic sets in. I'm still like young on the beat. And I'm just, I probably had like a mental breakdown in my head and somehow pulled it together and put something up. But now this is going to remind me to go and look because I'm pretty <laughs> sure it was Verona and Oshi scored like 30 seconds apart i think that's uh, right and then i think they won it like in a, in overtime right if i yes. remember correctly or so yeah. not only were they down right so in the scenario like okay they lost my lost story but they yeah they scored with <laughs> it's yeah they scored two goals 32 seconds apart in the final minute of the third and eller yep. scored in overtime to win yep so <laughs> you tell me how to write that in basically yeah. two minutes yeah, exactly, exactly exactly yeah but i mean and then yeah yeah they're go insane. ahead they're crazy. I was just going to yeah. say, like, it's so annoying in the moment. But looking back, you're like, that's ridiculous. I got to capture one of the most crazy moments of the season. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And then I guess, like, second to last question, which is um, what, like, I, I'm, I'm kind of curious. Like, obviously, like, the stuff with Twitter, you know, is something that, you know, there's been, like, up and downs, you know, in terms of, like, Elon Musk or not. It looks like Twitter is going to survive or something like that. But you're going to be off of a beat, you know, and I'm kind of curious, like, what do you like, I, obviously, like social media, I think is a huge part of being a beat writer now. And I think it's probably been like that, you'd say probably for the last seven, eight years or so, I guess. But like, I did kind of kind of curious, like, is it tough to have like a healthy relationship with social media <laughs> as a beat writer? And like, how does that how do like, do you think about like how that relationship works? Because I mean, Obviously, you're a lot closer to fans and obnoxious people like me, you know, (laughs) but like, it's also like, I mean, you have to, I guess, figure out a way also to stay separate from it too, right? And so how does that work? Like, I mean, how do you try to do it so that it's not like follow you around all the time too? Yeah, so I would say that I have a bad balance with social media (laughs) not following me around because I'm constantly on my phone. Sure. But I mean, I would say that going into the job, like social media wasn't on my job description. It was never mm-hmm. like directly told to me, hey, you have to tweet out line combinations. You have to tweet out injuries. You have to tweet out the play-by-play. Like it was just, for me, that's how I thought the job should be done. And that's how I saw Isabel do the job. And mm-hmm. so that's how I was going to do the job. And it kind of turned into more of a, oh, I can now interact more with fans. And like, I don't know, it, for me, it was almost like, not the safe, maybe a safe space, kind of a safe space on Twitter of, you know, just being excited about the job every day and being able to, you know, kind of make me happy to see that people, you know, were so interested in the caps and even in, you know, the arguments on Twitter about lines and who should be scratched and who shouldn't. Um, It was just interesting kind of conversations. And so I think, yeah, truthfully, I had no boundaries social media <laughs> well it's hard everything. to right i mean you it's know hard, like it's yeah. I, I mean what's well, what's also been interesting to me is i mean it seems like you know there there's like certain times of day now where i'm just used to like oh all right they have a game tonight like mm-hmm. i know morning skate's gonna be this so all these tweets are gonna go up at like you know what like 11 a.m or whatever mm-hmm. you know when when people first know the lines and then i know there's gonna be a string of mm-hmm. quotes after the practice and we all know that <laughs> and so it's interesting how like that kind of like orients even non-beat writers days of just like, this is when I expect bursts of information. Yeah. It's so funny because I've never been on the other side of like waiting for lines. Yes. I guess it's kind of like, I've always been the one like tweeting lines or tweeting out news. And so I've never like been the one to just like wait at my phone and see everyone else's lines and react. So like, I think it's going to be super interesting now if I'm, I don't know, at 11 AM being like, okay, Tom, okay, Tarek, where are the caps lines? Like, I want to see what's happening. Like, <laughs> where, where are they? Who's injured today? Like, who's a healthy scratch? And I feel like so much of our jobs now is like, we feel like we know all these little things, but 
it's not all on Twitter. So when we put something out, we think this is normal and we think this is expected. And then it's clearly not. So (laughs) I think the reaction is kind of funny sometimes too, but no, I think social media is fun. I think it should be used and I think it creates a community. And I think that was one of my favorite parts of it was just like seeing how many people loved the caps and watching hockey. And, you know, I was grateful to be able to at least like share a little bit of it with them. Yeah. All right. Well, I think uh, I was going to ask about overall reflections on beat writer. It seems like you kind of hit that there a little bit, but I don't know. I mean, like, this is probably going to be like one of the last questions, like, you know, that, you know, you get on a podcast like this. So I don't know, like, I'm kind of curious, like, I mean, is there anything else that's worth saying? Like, I mean, I don't know, like, if you have any kind of overall reflective thoughts or anything like that, I'd be kind of curious to hear, like, what are you going to miss about being on the beat? And what are you not going to miss about being on the beat? <laughs> um, what am I not going to miss? I'm not going to miss deadlines. I'm <laughs> not going to miss missing you know, some like pretty big like memories and holidays and birthdays and things like that. Um, But I think what will I miss the most? I think throughout this whole entire kind of goodbye saga, if you will, um, the biggest thing has been like the people that I work with and the players and coaches in the organization, just because I saw them literally every single day. Like (laughs) there was not a day that I did not see them or interact with them. And I think that's probably the biggest thing is knowing that all those people actually care so much about you and you care the same for them. And I think that's probably the biggest thing. Like some of the player interactions I think are absolutely hilarious. And I think it was in Columbus in morning skate, Ovechkin was skating around. He saw me in the stands, looked at me waved goodbye pretended to wipe tears from his face and then kept on skating and (laughs) I was just like this is ridiculous but like oh yeah that's Alex Ovechkin like he's just being a goof he actually came up to me after the Columbus game hugged me said bye I said I'll see you in Florida and he said (laughs) oh (laughs) so (laughs) but it's like or like even like Nicholas Backstrom shaking my hand after the game like so classy Peter Laviolette like saying goodbye hugging me so classy so I think top to bottom like the Caps have a great organization and I'll just miss kind of those interactions but also all the people in the media who you just like talk about your everyday life with like we can't sit there all the time and just talk hockey or else I think we'd all go insane so that's yeah you get to know people as people right you know it's nice exactly yeah they're not just you know there (laughs) no exactly Exactly, exactly. All right. Well, uh, I think we're all, you know, from the Japers Ring team on, going to miss you, your time on the beat. You know, we want to thank you for, you know, all of the years of, you know, I guess, you know, from from my standpoint too, you know, you've always been a, you know, wonderful, like kind of resource and friend and, you know, colleague in a lot of ways throughout this whole process. So, you know, I also want to personally thank you. You know, you've always been very supportive of, you know, my misadventures on this podcast. And so I, you know, want to also take time to personally thank you. And so, you know, say that, yeah, I'm going to miss you on the beat, you know, and it's, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a really good ride, I would say. Well, thank you. I've always loved my time in the podcast. I remember our first podcast when you were like, it's going to be okay. Like it's going to be okay. <laughs> You're going to do I remember. I, that was one of your first <laughs> podcast experiences. It was. Like, like episodes ever, ever right? Yes. Yeah. You're like, have you ever done this before? And I was like, no. And I remember being like super nervous and you're like, it's fine. It's fine. Just like answer the questions. And then I think it was probably like, what, maybe our third time that I think afterwards you were like, oh yeah, you seemed a lot more comfortable this time around. Like what happened? And I was like, that's a good question. I have no clue. No. Well, it was funny. I remember there was one time where I was like, uh, you know, you had just gone on, I think it was like the hockey PDO cast or something. And I was like, oh, wow, like yeah. this is like, uh, you're really getting promoted to the big time. And it's like, uh, <laughs> but I was kind of thinking about it. And I was like, wait, I'm talking about like a Washington Post beat writer. And it's like, <laughs> oh, it's like, you know, Dmitry Filipovich's hockey yes. podcast is like the big time or whatever. But, you know, it's, uh, it's funny, you know, I think obviously, you know, I think we've both seen each other grow in this role a little bit. It's definitely been, you know, a lot of, it, it's been a lot of fun, you know, to kind of, 
I guess, you know, see the various places that we've all kind of been, you know, throughout this whole thing. Cause it's, uh, you know, I mean, at the same time that, you know, we're doing this, you know, we're also both living lives, you know, I've since gotten married, you know, and I'm in Europe now, like throughout all this, yeah. and it's just kind of, it's interesting, you know, to see kind of the places life can take you, you know, as we're doing this, you know, job together and all that. No, 100%. And I think it's just been fun to kind of see everyone else grow as well. Like everyone Absolutely. in the peak people who have left and got new jobs and the new faces that have come in and um no I mean I think it's been amazing and when I look back I'm like oh yeah like I've done four seasons five seasons here but in some regards I'm like oh that was nothing and then in other regards I'm like oh yeah there was a whole pandemic like I, yeah. whole, <laughs> like we were living a whole nother life <laughs> Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, no, it's cool. It's cool. It's cool. It's cool to see, you know, people like, you know, even Sammy Silver, you know, really grow into her role, you know, and all all this kind of really cool, like, you know, just development that you see, you know, when you're with the same kind of people, you know, just see the kind of the growth that people can have, you know, throughout the years. It's always it's always kind of fun to see. 100%. Yeah. All right. Okay. So with that, uh, if you like, like the show, uh, I guess rate, rate, subscribe, review it. Uh, I got a couple of questions about like the future of Japer's Rink and uh, the future of the podcast. And I have no idea, guys. Like, I, I don't know. I'm doing my best here. Like, we didn't really know a ton about the Vox stuff when it was coming. You know, we're already like, I'm going to editorialize for like two seconds. So Sam, I'm sorry. Uh, I'll give you a proper goodbye in a second. But, uh, you know, I, we, we have no idea what's going on. Like, you know, we just got this kind of, you know, as we go, a lot of us, you know, frankly are, you know, like kind of low paid, you know, like, you know, I never really felt like, you know, that it's it's always a tricky situation with something like this, because I frankly know as little as fans know in a lot of cases. So, you know, we're figuring this out as we go. In terms of the future of the podcast, I have no idea. I don't really know what's going to go on. You know, I do know that. I would like to keep doing this. I've had to take obviously a break for the last couple of months, you know, to deal with some mental health stuff. But, you know, I I would like to keep doing this if I can, but we don't know. So uh, I think with all of that, if you like the show, maybe like give us a review because I actually do kind of enjoy those. You know, we gotten a lot of really good ones throughout and uh, yeah, like that would be cool. Or like reach out on Twitter, you know, and let me know. I still check it every once in a while. So I don't know. That's kind of like a weird way to end this podcast, but you know, good things in life can end weirdly sometimes. So, so there you go. Uh, and with that, uh, Samantha, this has been a blast. Thank you kind of for all the, the good memories throughout the years and uh, best of luck going forward. Thank you so much. Um, I just want to say that I absolutely love the podcast. So I hope that in some shape or form that it can continue to go on in kind of these weird times and we'll always be your guys's number one supporter. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much. And uh, we will we will see exactly what the what the next step holds to uh, soon. So uh, stay tuned.